A trusted voice of truth and light. God gave me a gift. I shovel well. I shovel very well. And a rally point for those who've accepted the reality that they are not sheep. We've got a blind date with destiny. And it looks like she's ordered the lobster. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Well, hello there and welcome to the show. No, seriously, thank you for joining us today. We like to revel in wrong think. It sounds terribly subversive, but really it's just a matter of trying to stay tethered to reality. Which it turns out is almost a full-time job in this day and age. I'm not the guy who has all the answers, but I do believe that the battle for your mind is real. And I'm trying to give you some very solid intellectual and philosophical ammunition with which you can go out there and decide for yourself what's real, what matters versus what isn't. We've got a lot to pay attention to. These are interesting times. Whoever wished that we live in interesting times, well, thanks. You got your wish. Now we got to make the best of it. Actually, we do have some pretty fun stuff to cover today. Our program is brought to you by great sponsors like the Heather Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage, located in St. George, Utah. Also by MonticelloCollege.org and by LifesavingFood.com. I'll have some kind words for each of these sponsors coming up. Let's dive right in, though, and let's talk about the move toward a cashless society. I don't know about you. I, I spend probably more time thinking about money. Okay, let me be more specific. Worrying about money than, than I really would like. And I don't think anybody who's paying attention would would deny that, yeah, there's there's seriously some some economic crisis going on here. And with all the mass firings over, you know, not uh, towing the line for this vaccination mandate or that vaccination mandate, it's it's probably going to get worse. But I'm concerned about this move toward a cashless society. If for only reason that to cash gives privacy to your transactions. And I know that sounds terribly subversive to some people. Well, really, Brian, what are you trying to hide here? What do you, do you have something illegal you don't want the government to know about? And it's interesting people have that reaction, but that stems from the idea that, you know, if you have, if you're not doing anything illegal, well, then you have nothing to fear. Not very many people seem to be able to make the connection that why is it any of government's business at all? Who I'm engaging in commerce with and, you know, how much money I'm making, how much money I'm spending. I know we're trained to think, well, now you've got to pay your fair share in taxes. I think this is going to go beyond just paying your fair share. This is more about uh, your finances need to be under complete state control. And there's a terrific article from Kit Knightley writing for OffGuardian.org that talks about how programmable digital currency may be the next stage of the new normal. I like the sub-headline here, too. The war on cash's endgame is here. Money replaced by vouchers, subject to complete state control. So if this sounds conspiratorial, you know, I can't help you. It's, it, it does sound conspiratorial. What do you mean? The money changers are trying to control everybody? There does seem to be a flavor of that. Check out what Kit Knightley has to say, though, and then, you know, make up your own mind. Maybe maybe this makes sense. Maybe it doesn't. 
Kit says building on the Bitcoin model, central banks, banks rather, are planning to produce their own digital currencies. Removing any and all remaining privacy, granting total control over every transaction, even limiting what ordinary people are allowed to spend their money on. Now, from the moment Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies first emerged, sold as an independent and alternative medium of exchange outside of the financial status quo. <clears throat> it was only a matter of time before the new alternative would be absorbed, modified, and redeployed in service of the state. Enter central bank digital currencies, the mainstream answer to Bitcoin. Now, for those who've never heard of them, central bank digital currencies, or CBDCs, are exactly what they sound like. Digitized versions of the pound, the dollar, the euro, etc., issued by central banks. Like Bitcoin and other crypto, the CBDC would be entirely digital, thus furthering the ongoing war on cash. However, unlike crypto, it would not have any encryption-preserving anonymity. In fact, it would be totally the reverse, potentially ending the very idea of financial privacy. Now, you may not have heard much about the CBDC plans, lost as they are in the tangle of the ongoing pandemic. But the campaign is there, says Kit Knightley, chugging along on the back pages for months now. There are stories about it from both Reuters as well as Financial Times just today. It's a long, slow con, but it's a con nonetheless. Now, the countries where the idea has progressed the furthest are, the, are China and the U.K. The Chinese digital yuan has been in development since 2014 and is subject to ongoing and widespread testing. The U.K. is nowhere near that stage yet, but Chancellor Rishi Sunak is keenly pushing forward a digital pound that the press are calling the Britcoin. Other countries, including New Zealand, Australia, South Africa, and Malaysia, are not far behind. Now, the U.S. is also researching the idea with Jerome Powell, head of the Federal Reserve, announcing the release of a detailed report on the digital dollar in the near future. Proposals for how these CBC, CBDCs might work should be enough to raise red flags even in the most trusting of minds. See, most people wouldn't like the idea of government monitoring all spending in real time, but that's not the worst of it. By far the most dangerous idea that any future digital currency should be is that any future digital currency should be programmable. Meaning the people issuing the money would have the power to control how it is spent. That's not just an interpretation or a conspiracy theory. Augustine Karstens, the head of the International Settlement Bank, speaking earlier this year, stated the key difference with a CBDC is that the central bank would have absolute control on the rules and regulations that determine the use of that expression of central bank liability and have the technology to enforce that. Now, there's an actual video clip, a YouTube clip that's included in the article, which I will share on, the Brian, on, the, on my show notes on the com. But what Kit Knightley says is this tells you that not only do they want and are seeking this power, but this is how the, the, those seeking that power justify it to themselves. They transform other people's money into an expression of their liability. And so consider it's only right that they control it. In fact, an article in The Telegraph back in June was just as candid. Quote, digital cash could be programmed to ensure it is only spent on essentials or 
goods which an employer or government deems to be sensible. End quote. By the way, the, that article goes on to quote Tom Mutton, a director at the Bank of England. You could introduce programmability. There could be some socially beneficial outcomes from that, preventing activity which is seen to be socially harmful in some way. Oh my, do you have any socially harmful hobbies? I'm sure we all would be tempted to say, well, of course not, but that's really not for you to decide now, is it? That's for some banker, perhaps some bureaucrat, perhaps a politician to decide. And we know they would never be tempted to stoop to any kind of mischief. Har, har. Kit Knightley says governments and employers making sure the money they issue can only be used on sensible things and not be used in socially harmful ways. It doesn't take much imagination to see just how this system could evolve and reshape society into a truly dystopian nightmare. In China, the process is already beginning with a trademarked lack of subtlety. As they progress toward the release of their digital currency, they are banning all cryptocurrencies to remove competition, and it's already known the digital yuan will be programmable. Now, the West's approach will probably be less direct, but no less controlling for that. Britcoin will only be programmed likely in just special circumstances, starting, as the Telegraph says, with state benefits. They will be flagged to be spent only on essentials. Now, of course, if universal basic income is put in place, then it's possible the majority of people could end up on state benefits. But it's not hard to see the programmable money feeding into the protect the NHS narrative where people aren't allowed to spend money on things like sugar or cigarettes or alcohol. After all, that's state money. Or people on organ waiting lists or diagnosed with certain conditions. They'll have their wages and their spending controlled. Kit Knightley says, by and large, it is the nature of British tyranny to be unofficial. So the UK government will make a a big show of renouncing their own power to program the money, thereby positively contrasting themselves with China. But at the time, they'll take no steps to prevent large companies programming the wages they issue. So while the state controls the digital yuan in China, the digital pound will be subject to corporate control and used to enforce the unspoken state corporate Sponsor a partnership that always defines true fascism. Got to come back to this article in just a few moments, and I, I hope this isn't just causing a chill to go up your spine. You're like, great, you're scaring me again, Hyde. But it is a little bit chilling to consider that kind of control over your finances. Stay with us. We'll be back in just a moment. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Excuse me, why don't you have life insurance yet? I've got diabetes, and I know the price will be through the roof for the pre-existing condition. Well, actually, SelectQuote makes it easy to get very affordable life insurance, even if you have a health issue. I'm listening. You'll get quotes from some of the country's most trusted carriers. Even with your diabetes, you can get around $250,000 in insurance for as little as a dollar a day. That would be amazing. <laughs> What's it called again? Select Quote. Just call or go to selectquote.com to get your free quote. Get the coverage you need at a price you can afford. Call 1-800-694-1010 or go to selectquote.com today. That's 1-800-694-1010 or selectquote.com. Select quote. We shop. You save. 
Get full details on example policy at selectquote.com slash commercials. Monthly premiums vary based on health company and other factors. Not available in all states. You spend a third of your life in bed. That's why we make the most comfortable sheets in the very best way. I'm Scott Tannen. Eight years ago, my wife Missy and I founded Bowl & Branch to create the new standard in bedding. We source pure organic cotton and put workers' rights first. Today, Bowl & Branch makes the highest quality sheets in the entire industry. You'll feel the difference of our famous signature sheets. They're made from pure organic cotton and get softer with every single wash. Now's the perfect time to try Bowl & Branch sheets, pillows, bath towels, and so much more. Each is made with super soft organic cotton by workers who are paid fairly and have come to feel like family. It's time to make the better choice and get the new standard in bedding. Visit BowlandBranch.com today for free shipping and returns. Experience a new standard of comfort at BowlandBranch.com and take 15% off your first set of sheets with promo code GOLD. That's B-O-L-L and Branch.com. Promo code GOLD. You know, if you feel like you're stuck with a health care plan that isn't affordable or you simply don't like it, right now is a great time to switch to MediShare. The typical family saves $500 a month when they join MediShare. And what's more, they like it. MediShare has double the customer satisfaction rate compared to the typical health insurance plan. That's double. So you get a massive network of providers to choose from. You get telehealth services. And MediShare is the most trusted name in healthcare sharing. It's been around for more than 25 years, shared more than $4 billion in healthcare bills. Here's why now really is the time to make the switch, too. You can start saving each month, which is huge, but right now they'll waive your joining fee. So you'll save another $170 right off the bat. But again, it's a limited time offer. you got to call now. And it only takes two minutes to find out how much you'd save by switching. Here's the number, 833-34-BIBLE. That's 833-34-BIBLE. 833-34-BIBLE. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. Sharing a great article from Kit Knightley from OffGuardian.org. This is, uh, this is becoming one of my favorite resources to go to for just a, a different, informative, and uh, stimulating viewpoint that I don't get through many of the mainstream outlets uh, that are available to us. So... I share that with you in the hopes that you find something worthwhile as well. Our program is brought to you by great sponsors like LifesavingFood.com. I am a strong believer in the power of having a food storage program. And I mean to to meet unexpected uh, circumstances. Had some friends who were almost wiped out in a flash flood some years ago. But, uh, but they had preps. They had something to fall back on, even though a lot of their preps went right on down the stream when the flash flood hit their house. I've seen job changes and job loss that uh, food storage made the difference. And as I've watched the last couple of years unfold with the pandemic, it's been very clear that the people who had some preps in place were not the ones panicking at the grocery store and, you know, dragging around a couple of carts with that deer in the headlights look in their eyes. So having said that, I would encourage you click on the link that I provide in my show notes at the com. Go to lifesavingfood.com. See if there's something that could bolster your peace of mind through self-reliance. Food's getting more expensive, and I think we're just seeing the very beginning of, of this trend. The window has been closing for some time. Don't wait till it slams shut. 
And by the way, if you are uh, if you are a, an influencer, if you are a business who would like to partner with LifesavingFood.com, they have an affiliate program. If you uh, just click on the link that I provide in my show notes, it'll take you to their website and you can follow it from there. Kendall is a wonderful person to work with, and I think you would find your time well spent in uh, exploring that partnership. All right, let's get back to the article here about programmable digital currency, the next stage of the new normal. This is from Kit Knightley, writing for OffGuardian.org, talking about how not only is a digital currency in the offing, China is getting ready to roll out the digital yuan, Britain is... uh, Apparently promoting something they're, they're going to refer to, or at least it's, it's being referred to now as the Britcoin. But it would do away with other cryptocurrencies, no competition allowed. And the craziest thing of all is not only would it be entirely digital, meaning subject to uh, surveillance and observation in real time, any dime you earn, any dime you spend will be tracked and taxed accordingly by government. That's kind of onerous in and of itself. But the part that really gets me is it could be a programmable digital currency, meaning those who issue that currency, whether it be the government or whether it be, you know, your employer could actually program those wages that you can only spend them on things that are approved. Oh, you want to buy ammunition? No, that's not approved. That's antisocial. You want to buy books? Well, that depends. What kind of books are we talking about? I mean, these aren't books that uh, promote natural health approaches or that question, you know, the efficacy of the COVID vaccine because you can't do that. That would be antisocial as well. I mean, you can see that the potential for mischief in something like this is pretty large. Probably best not to go there in the first place. In fact, Kit Knightley says, look, it'll probably start in small, predictable ways designed to limit competition. For instance, McDonald's will make it impossible to spend their wages so their workers can't go spend their wages at Burger King and vice versa. Coke and Pepsi, Starbucks and Costa, you get the idea. Now, we've witnessed the rise of cancel culture, the cultivated age of identity politics and virtue signaling. Well, just think about how programmable currency could fit into that. Companies could commit to combating hate and stop their employees from donating money to blacklisted political parties, religious groups, charities, or even individuals. In the age of COVID, we've seen how authors, actors, and singers who step out of line are subject to poisonous witch hunts. So now imagine a world where companies could renounce those who spread misinformation by making it impossible to spend wages they issue on art, film, books, music, from outspoken critics of the government. Maybe companies will make it so that employees who aren't vaccinated have more limitations placed on their wages than vaccinated ones. I mean, even a year ago, that would have seemed unreasonable. Oh, come on, they would never go there. I don't know what I've seen in the last year. I think that's one of the first places that uh, the people pushing, you know, for the vaccinations would go. Maybe an unvaxxed paycheck can't be spent at cinemas or nightclubs in order to stop the spread of the virus. Here's a quote from John Cunliffe, director, uh, deputy director of the Bank of England, who told The Telegraph, you could think of smart contracts in which the money would be programmed to be released only if something happened. So maybe employers will remove choice altogether and make a negative test and or a vaccine booster a prerequisite for unlocking your wages. 
I mean, this could be applied to all kinds of behaviors moving forward. And the World Economic Forum has this clear vision of the future where people own nothing and are happy. You combine that with a prolonged war on home ownership, and you can see employers and governments issuing money, which can be spent on rent, but not on a mortgage. Now imagine the nascent Green New Deal. Hard limits on how much money you can spend on petrol or plastic or meat. Only X dollars on flights per year. Only Y pounds on beef. All for the good of the planet. I know that food store just suddenly looking even smarter still, right? Money will turn from an expression of independence into nothing but a voucher system operated completely at the whim of corporate monoliths. Now, all of this would have sounded like rampant paranoia just two years ago, but would you honestly be surprised to see that suggestion today? Kit Knightley says a programmable digital currency would have coded into it the ability to control our entire society, and that looks like where the new normal is headed next. I know there are articles out there, and there are people out there, oh, come on now. You people with your mark of the beast talking, you know, imagining that some kind of biblical prophecy is coming about here. Well, I I can only speak for myself, but sure doesn't seem that far-fetched to me. In fact, it seems like that's, uh, that's falling into line, just like the Bible said it would. Oh, okay. Anyway. I'll have a link to this article in the show notes. You can check them out for yourself at thebrianheidshow.com. Lots of resources for wrong thinkers, and I don't know what the alternative is. You know, I mean, I, I don't know. At this point, I'm kind of thinking that the people who are dealing in commodities, who have tangible goods, be it gold, silver, other precious metals, lead, brass, and copper, um, you know, or other things that you can put your hands on, I think they're going to have a fighting chance, but it's going to be like a barter-based economy. And it's probably going to be a black market. It'll be considered highly illegal. Why, this is stuff that's taking place, you know, out of the out of the view of some government bureaucrat or some functionary whose job is to make sure that these things are being spent only on approved items. But it wouldn't surprise me to see such a development come about. So I'm not offering financial advice. I'm not a financial advisor. I'm not anybody who can can give you anything other than just a heads up. This appears to be on the horizon, and it's probably worth paying attention to and having some kind of a backup plan. Because I think once that uh, once that door slams shut, it's it's going to slam shut like uh, like a big steel blast door. It won't be easily opened. Better to have given better to have given some thought to it ahead of time, and maybe uh, made some contingency plans and had your eggs in more than one basket, than to find yourself going, "Okay, I was counting on that money for my retirement, but now I'm being told that I'm just not politically correct enough to access it." Ha! Ah, what a crazy time we live in. Okay, got to take a break. When we come back. I want to talk with you about something called the third man factor. One of the most fascinating things I've heard about, but I believe it's absolutely true, even though it's terribly mysterious. We'll be back in just a moment. This is The Brian Hyde Show. 
This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. Okay, if you're a uh, fairly new listener to this program, you're probably starting to pick up on the fact that I don't spend a whole lot of time talking politics. In fact, if I can just be blunt, I believe that politics and that obsession with politics is a lot of what's wrong with the world. And it's not that there isn't, you know, it's not it's not that there aren't things that you shouldn't be paying attention to, but it's so easy to get caught up in the melodrama and, you know, the the political posturing and the power struggles. Everything becomes a power struggle once it's political. And yet I think there are some larger things that uh, that are extremely significant. And I may lose some of you by saying this, but um, I believe that uh, there are some spiritual considerations that have to be taken into account. And I believe the people who are at least at this point um, the best adjusted, you know, mentally they're, they're bearing the burdens, even though it's tough for everybody. I don't know of anybody right now who isn't feeling the strain, fighting depression, fighting discouragement, fighting a sense that, oh my gosh, this is all getting out of control. I mean, if you felt that way, first of all, you're not alone. And I don't care how cool and collected I may sound as I'm sitting here, you know, talking about these things. I struggle with it, too. And it's it's hard. I can't see the future. I, I don't know if I want to see the future, but I want to know that uh, that at least there's got to be some peaceful or safe path forward. And I sure don't get that impression now. Interestingly enough, there are lots of stories out there of uh, survival in which the survivors recount some kind of miraculous encounter with someone who saves the day. And there's actually a name for it. It's called the Third Man Factor. There was a great article by Aidan Tate published on the Organic Prepper, Real Life Survival Stories, The Mystery of the Third Man Factor. Now, it says, being involved in prepping, some readers are likely naturally curious when it comes to tales of survival. Often in survival stories, there's something unexplainable that helps people to get through extreme scenarios. And then there's a series of stories here that are, that are shared, known as the third man factor. Who is the third who walks always beside you? When I count, there are only you and I together. But when I look up ahead, when I look ahead up the white road, there is always another one walking beside you. These are the words of T.S. Eliot from The Wasteland and other poems. Now, the third man factor, Aidan Tate says, is the widely reported mysterious phenomenon of feeling a presence during extreme situations. Survivors recall experiences of being guided or sometimes helped by the sometimes seen by or sometimes un, sometimes unseen, sometimes merely heard shadowy form. So here are just a few different uh, stories to spark your imagination and who knows, maybe inspire your heart. 1898. Here's the story of Joshua Slocum. Aboard his ship, the Spray, Slocum attempts to become the first person to circumnavigate the globe alone. However, food poisoning has left him incapacitated and a violent storm has left the weakened sailor without much hope for making it through the night. It's in the middle of this storm that Slocum experiences something phenomenal. An unexpected visitor claiming to come to aid him the visitor tells Joshua, lie quiet, and I will guide your ship tonight. Slocum makes it through the night without the waves swamping his ship, and later he would write a book about his experience, an international bestseller, 
sailing alone around the world. I like this story. 1914 to 1916, Ernest Shackleton. If you haven't read about the Shackleton expedition, wow. Such a powerful story of leadership and courage and and just inspiration. So after the ice leaves Antarctic explorer Ernest Shackleton and his crew trapped on an ice floe for 15 months, the men realize they will have to escape by sea if they ever wish to see humanity again. Using small whaling boats, the men set sail into the unknown, landing at the uninhabitable Elephant Island three days later. Now, Shackleton's only hope is to continue sailing on to a whaling depot 680 miles away. So Shackleton set sail for 14 days, taking five other men with him, miraculously reaching South Georgia, which is the island home of the whaling depot. However, they've, ran, they've landed on the wrong side of the island in the middle of a hurricane. Taking two others with him, Shackleton now mountaineers through the heart of the mountain, reaching the whaling depot on the other side the following day. And a rescue operation saves every single man. Upon writing his memoirs, memoirs rather, South, the story of Shackleton's last expedition, 1914 to 1917, after the ordeal is over, Shackleton reveals, quote, When I look back at those days, I have no doubt that Providence guided us. Not only across those snowfields, but across that storm-white sea that separated Elephant Island from our landing place on South Georgia. I know during that long and racking march of 36 hours over the unnamed mountains and glaciers of South Georgia, it seemed to me often that we were four, not three. Okay, here's another great one. June 1st, 1933, Frank Smythe. Smythe attempts to reach the peak of Mount Everest. He spent two nights above the death zone as he waited for the weather to clear. Lack of food, oxygen, and sleep has made Smythe a pitiful mess. As he attempts to reach the peak, Smythe loses his footing, almost tumbling to the rocks below. His ice axe jams in a crack, keeping him from the fall. Now, he would later recount, quote, Al, all the time that I was climbing alone, I had a strong feeling that I was accompanied by a second person. This feeling was so strong that it completely eliminated all loneliness. I might otherwise have felt. It even seemed that I was tied to my companion by a rope, and that if I slipped, he would hold me. I remember constantly glancing back over my shoulder. End quote. So here's what's interesting. Frank Smythe would reach the peak where, with celeb- where celebrating with a mint cake, he actually broke it in two and held out one half to his unseen companion. Here's a story from April 1st. 1983, this is James Sevigny. James and his friend Richard spent the day mountaineering through the Canadian Rockies. It's the last day that he will see his friend alive. As they make their way up Mount Delta form, an avalanche sweeps both men all the way to the base of the mountain. So when James wakes up, he has a broken back, broken arm, broken ribs, teeth, nose, and scapula. In addition to the bone breaks, he also has torn ligaments in both of his knees, internal bleeding, open wounds, and cannot raise his right arm. Oh, and his friend Richard is dead. So James lays down to die. But then 20 minutes later, he feels a presence. He felt someone behind him and heard a voice, No, you can't give up. You have to live. 
and he says, it told me what to do. The only decision I had made at that point in time was to lie down next to Rick and to fall asleep and to accept death. That's the only decision I made. All decisions made subsequent to that were made by the presence. I was merely taking instructions. I understood what it wanted me to do. It wanted me to live. And miraculously, James was able to crawl his way back to rescue where cross-country skiers discovered him. And he would live to tell the tale. Now, there's one here from 9-11. A guy named Ron DeFrancesco who uh, said he was he was making his way down through the World Trade Center, the South Tower, and uh, choking from all the smoke. Someone told him to get up, and then someone lifted him up, and he was led to the stairs, and he found his way down the stairwell, even though a wall of flames blocked him off at one point. The voice led him through the fire. He was the last person to make it out of the South Tower alive. Alive, rather. One last one, and this is from Daisy Luther, who is actually the publisher of The Organic Prepper. She was out hiking with friends in 2013, with friends and family, misstepped on a loose rock and went tumbling about 40 feet down a steep, rocky, bramble-covered ravine. Now, she lost a shoe in the fall. She landed on a large stone. She was bruised head to toe. Her friend comes to help her and retrieves her shoe, and they start to make the perilous journey back up the steep cliffside, slipping and sliding on the loose stones. But then a voice on the trail above them says, Are you okay? And Daisy's friend told the two hikers that she had fallen, and they were just trying to get back up the trail. Daisy says, The man was down the side in a flash, holding his hand out to me. He told me to look into his eyes and said, I swear I will not let you fall. Trust me. Then he said, Dig deep. And he pulled me up 20 feet to safety in what seemed like only two steps. He turned to help my friend as well. And at this point, other hikers had stopped to help, offering water and a place to sit. She says, I turned to thank our good Samaritan, and he and his companion were gone. And she wondered, Did I hit my head that hard? But my friend had also seen him, and he'd pulled her up. But none of the other hikers seemed to know who we were talking about. And she says, to this day, I can't explain who that man was, how he pulled me up so fast, or where he went. Now, there's a little bit more to this article, and I'm going to come back to it here in the final segment this hour. But I offer this to you in the spirit of what if we had unseen help? What if we had divine resources available to us, but we just simply didn't recognize it? It's kind of an interesting possibility, wouldn't you say? This is The Brian Hyde Show. You spend a third of your life in bed. That's why we make the most comfortable sheets in the very best way. I'm Scott Tannen. Eight years ago, my wife Missy and I founded Bowling Branch to create the new standard in bedding. We source pure organic cotton and put workers' rights first. Today, Bowling Branch makes the highest quality sheets in the entire industry. You'll feel the difference of our famous signature sheets. They're made from pure organic cotton and get softer with every single wash. Now's the perfect time to try Bowling Branch sheets, pillows, bath towels, and so much more. Each is made with super soft organic cotton by workers who are paid fairly and have come to feel like family. It's time to make the better choice and get the new standard in bedding. Visit BolinBranch.com today for free shipping and returns. Experience a new standard of comfort at BolinBranch.com and take 15% off your first set of sheets with promo code GOLD. That's B-O-L-L and Branch.com. Promo code GOLD. 
Tell me why Relief Factor is so successful in lowering or eliminating pain. I'm often asked that question. Pete and Seth Talbot, the father and son founders of Relief Factor, tell me they believe our bodies were designed to heal. The doctors who formulated Relief Factor selected the four best ingredients, 100% drug-free ingredients that each help your body deal with inflammation. Order the three-week quick start now. Discount it to only $19.95 to see if it will work for you too. Call 800-500-8384. ReliefFactor.com. Angie's list is now Angie, and getting your to-do list done just got easier. Between back to school and with the holidays around the corner, it can feel like there's no time to tackle home projects. Whether you need help with emergency repairs or major upgrades, Angie matches you with top local pros who can get the job done right. Browse reviews, see upfront pricing, and instantly book hundreds of projects. Save time for what matters most. Book your next project at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot following is not an actor, but a real-life story from Trinity Debt Management. I had a lot of credit card debt, and I couldn't pay my bills. I was feeling so bad. I got to a point where I needed some help, so I reached out and contacted Trinity. If you're in debt and you need help, call Trinity at 1-800-990-6976 to talk to a certified counselor. They were able to take all of my different payments and put them all together. Trinity will consolidate your accounts into one one easy-to-manage monthly payment, put a stop to late fees and over-limit charges, reduce your interest, and possibly improve your credit score. You'll save thousands. And they were actually able to work with my creditors. I've been able to pay off close to $15,000 in the last 18 months. If your debt has you down, call Trinity at 1-800-990-6976. My name is Stephanie, and I'm debt-free for keeps. 1-800-990-6976. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Welcome back to the show. It's true, I'm just a simple guy trying to make my way through life and trying to speak the truth as best I understand it. And today I speak the truth with the knowledge that there are people out there who are really looking for it and having a hard time finding it. I'm not the source of that truth, but I'm just uh, one person with a platform who's trying to get it out there for those who are looking for Something that they can hang their hat on. By the way, our show is brought to you by Patriot Home Mortgage. That's uh, the Heather Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage in St. George, Utah. Their offices are at 619 South Bluff Street. You can call 435-703-4522. Heather's NMLS ID is 715386. And Patriot Home Mortgage is an equal housing opportunity lender. Very important. If you're purchasing a home anywhere in the state of Utah, Talk to the Heather Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage. They have decades of experience, stability, and clout to get you the loan you need without delay. And in a crazy real estate market like the one we're in right now, that matters. I've been sharing this article from uh, Aiden Tate. This was published on The Organic Prepper, and it's about the uh, the third man factor. And I don't know about you. This is I. I've heard of stories like this where people are in great danger, and uh, some mysterious presence is there to either guide them or to reassure them or otherwise protect them. But this is the first time I'd really heard the term third man factor. And Aiden Tate says, if you're interested in reading more about the third man factor, John Geiger apparently has a remarkable book on the subject, "The Third Man Factor: Surviving the Impossible." 
And Aiden Tate says, to, to my knowledge, this is the most complete anthology of third man style tales amongst survivors out there. That's where the stories were found that I just shared with you in the last segment. And there are many more like it within the covers of that book. But it raises an interesting question, right? What is the cause of the third man factor? Researchers have attempted to explain these visions as neurological and physiological, brought on by the traumatic events themselves. Still, no two stories are the same, and the possible reasons don't seem to fit. Geiger doesn't say explicitly what he believes, but he does state clearly there is a spiritual or religious explanation to this phenomenon. However, Geiger also says there's some very interesting science behind the third man factor. So what do you think? Is this a benevolent being coming to the aid of humans in distress? Is it something deep within us which helps us access the incredible abilities we didn't know we had? And Aiden Tate says, I'd like to hear about this in the comment sections below. It's worth it, by the way. Looking at those comments. Other stories. Maybe maybe you have within your family stories of people who, you know, had an unseen voice or something of warning or of encouragement at that moment of, you know, distress. I think back on it and I think, you know, there really haven't been that many times in my life where I actually thought, you know, I might die. But I will tell you, one of the most vivid ones was getting caught in a tornado in Oklahoma. And I really, I had wished that I could see a tornado. I served a mission for my church there. So I was there for about two years and got used to hearing the tornado sirens going off every Saturday at noon as they tested them. Saw some severe weather. I mean, there's nothing like a Midwest thunderstorm. And in my heart, I just secretly wished, and I was so jealous of all the other people who got the chance to see a tornado, you know, up close and personal and live to tell about it. It just seemed like it would be a really cool thing. And then one day I got my wish. I was probably three-fourths of the way through my mission and, you know, just uh, headed back to my apartment with my mission companion one day and noticed a terrible black cloud building on the horizon. Also noticed people standing outside their businesses and standing along the highway leading back to Mustang, Oklahoma, you know, that uh, were looking towards that black cloud. And I was thinking, yeah, it looks like a pretty good storm. I had no idea, though, the tornado sirens had already just sounded. So I drove back to um, to my apartment, and I get out of the car, and I'm looking around, and the sky is, it's doing things I have never seen before. If you've ever seen a wall cloud, it's it's pretty impressive. Very, very threatening looking. And, and the odd thing was, as you looked up in there, you could see the clouds just swirling and boiling around. There was, there was clearly a lot of activity. And there was the strangest green light shining through the clouds. Really eerie. Now, I've been told that is a product of hail. Sunlight reflecting off of hail that causes that green light. And it's creepy. Oh, man, it's creepy to see. And I'm sitting there snapping pictures with my little Kodak disc camera. Woo, look at this. I've never seen anything like this. Look at that funnel-looking thing that's coming towards us. And about that time, my neighbor stuck his head out the door and said, Hey, boys, we're under tornado warning. And I don't know if you've ever had that experience of, you know, somebody gives you bad news, and, and it feels like somebody just dumped a bucket of ice water over you. My blood ran chill in my veins, I think is how sometimes people describe it. That's what I felt. There was that immediate dash of, ooh, <laughs> this just got serious. 
But at the same time, I'm thinking, okay, okay, we got to think about where would we go for shelter? Because at the time we lived in a second story apartment, a wood frame second story apartment, not the place you want to be if there is a tornado coming. And at this point, our neighbor actually came outside because uh, my mission companion and I were looking around going, what do we do? Where, where, where can we go? And he said, boys, you got to be careful here. He goes, if it gets calm, we need to get under shelter right away. And as he said it, things got dead calm. And so we, we booked it over to the little mailbox alcove for our apartment complex. It was just, you know, 15, 20 yards away. And we hunkered down in there. And within the space of like two or three gusts of wind, it went from dead calm to 100 mile an hour winds. I mean, like everything loose on the ground, flying up into the air and so loud you couldn't hear yourself think. So I, I got my wish. You know, I got to see, hey, this is this is what it's like to, to be, you know, to experience, you know, tornado weather. And for the very first time in my life, I was like, Dang, I might die today. Now, there just aren't words to describe how scary it is when you're in a situation like that. And, and nature is clearly so much more powerful than you. So the very first thing I could think of to do is, well, I need to, I need to bow my head and pray. <laughs> I need to ask God to protect me. And, and to me, this, this is what gives credibility to these third man factor stories. It wasn't so much that, you know, I felt a presence behind me saying, hang on, you know, I'll keep you from flying off, you know, with the, the roof, you know, if, if it goes. But the second, I mean, the moment that I bowed my head, before I could even form the words in my mind, you know, please, God, help me. I felt the most incredible connection. And I'm talking spiritual now, I understand this, this is one of those things that some people may feel uncomfortable. So you felt something, huh? Well, can you scientifically prove it? No, I can't. But as I stood there in the most dangerous situation that I had been in to that point in my life, I felt absolute peace from my head to my toes. I didn't know what was going to happen. For all I knew, maybe I was going to die. And this was just, you know, hey, just maybe putting you at peace, you know, before you come home. But I knew that God was aware of me. I knew that whatever happened, I was going to be okay. And the storm passed fairly quickly, and we were. We were okay. I think there is an unseen world. And I think that, uh, you know, if, if you describe it as the spiritual world, I'm good with that explanation. Perhaps there's more, but according to, to what I understand, I do believe that there, there is a spiritual world, and I believe that, that uh, those who inhabit that spiritual world are also very much a part of our world. Even if we cannot see them, hear them, you know, experience with our five senses that particular aspect of life. Sometimes I think, though, those, uh, those worlds uh, come together. And when I hear about the third man factor, when I hear about people who have this miraculous kind of uh, experience, my mind wonders if that is what's taking place. So my goal here isn't to make you feel uncomfortable like, oh, great, it turned into testimony meeting. How about that? But what I'm trying to do is, is offer at least the possibility as crazy as things may get sometimes, 
how amazing would it be? How comforting would it be to be able to draw upon resources that while they may not be able to be seen or, or at least quantified with the five senses, nonetheless are very real and part of a bigger love-based plan, perhaps implemented by the creator of the universe. Just a possibility. Check out the show notes at thebrianhideshow.com. I've got links to the articles I've covered thus far. And I do appreciate you being part of our growing audience of wrong thinkers. This is The Brian Hyde Show. A trusted voice of truth and light. God gave me a gift. I shovel well. I shovel very well. And a rally point for those who've accepted the reality that they are not sheep. We've got a blind date with destiny. And it looks like she's ordered the lobster. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, hello there, and welcome to the show. Thanks again for being part of our growing audience of wrong thinkers. This is a program for people who understand that the battle for their mind is a real thing. It's also a show for people who uh, don't really want to be told what to think, but would like to be provided with some thought-provoking content, which they can then decide for themselves whether or not it holds water. I have a terrific uh, website called thebrianhideshow.com, resources for wrong thinkers, daily show notes that I publish that uh, will, will take you to and through all the different articles that I cover. Because I'm guessing that you're listening to this program because you are at some level a truth seeker. You're somebody who wants to know for yourself. Well, that's what I'm here to do is to, to give you some great stuff to think about. What you do with that information, though, that is entirely up to you. Because I don't know what's best for you. So having said that, our program is brought to you by great sponsors like the Heather Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage in St. George, Utah, LifesavingFood.com, and MonticelloCollege.org. I've spent so much time in the last year and a half talking about all the different aspects of the COVID crisis. And with all the conflicting information out there about vaccines and the idea of stopping the COVID virus. It can be really tough to know who or what to believe. Well, I came across an article. This I got to thank uh, Jeffrey Tucker from the Brownstone Institute for sharing this on Twitter. The author is, I hope I'm saying this name correctly, Julius Ruchel. And it's titled, The Snake Oil Salesman and the COVID Zero Con, a classic bait and switch for a lifetime of booster shots or immunity as a service. Now, this is a super lengthy article. This is not something that uh, we're going to be able to cover in the course of this show, but I want to hit a couple of high points, and I have a link to it in the show notes. And if you're, you're serious about getting some really solid information, this is one of those things I would ask you to consider. And, and I'll explain why uh, some of the things that, that are covered here are, are so useful. So Julius Ruchel says, if a plumber with a lifetime of experience were to tell you that water runs uphill, you would know that he is lying and that the lie is not accidental. It's a lie with a purpose. 
If you can also demonstrate that the plumber knows in advance that the product he is promoting with that lie is snake oil, well, you have evidence for a deliberate con. And once you understand what's really inside that bottle of snake oil, you begin to understand the purpose of the con. So Julius Rochelle says, One of the common reasons given for mass COVID vaccinations is the idea that if we reach herd immunity through vaccination, we can starve the virus out of existence and get our lives back. It's part of the COVID zero strategy or some variant of it. But he says by now it's abundantly clear from the epidemiological data that the vaccinated are able to both catch and spread the disease. So clearly, vaccination isn't going to make this virus disappear. Only a mind that's lost its grasp on reality can fail to see how ridiculous all this has become. But a tour through pre-COVID science demonstrates that from day one, long before you and I had ever heard of this virus, it was 100% inevitable and 100% predictable that these vaccines would never be capable of eradicating this coronavirus and would never lead to any kind of lasting herd immunity. Even worse, lockdowns and mass vaccination have created a dangerous set of circumstances that interferes with our our immune system's ability to protect us against other respiratory viruses. They also risk the evolution of uh, driving the evolution of this virus towards mutations that are more dangerous to both the vaccinated and the unvaccinated alike. Lockdowns, mass vaccinations, and mass booster shots were never capable of delivering on any of the promises that were made to the public. And yet vaccination has been successfully used to control measles and even to eradicate smallpox. So why not covid Immunity is immunity, and a virus is a virus is a virus, right? Wrong. Reality is far more complicated and more interesting. So this article's deep dive exposes from day one why the promise of COVID-0 can only ever have been a deliberately dishonest shell game designed to prey on a lack of public understanding of how our immune systems work and on how most respiratory viruses differ from other viruses that we routinely vaccinate against. Julius Ruschel says, We've been sold a fantasy designed to rope us into a pharmaceutical dependency as a deceitful trade-off for access to our lives, variant by variant, for as long as the public is willing to go along with the ride. Now, exposing this story doesn't require incriminating emails or even whistleblower testimony. The story tells itself by diving into the long-established science that every single virologist, immunologist, evolutionary biologist, vaccine developer, and public health official had access to long before COVID began. And as is so often the case, the devil is hidden in the details. As this story unfolds, it will become clear that the one-two punch of lockdowns and the promise of vaccines as an exit strategy began as a cynical marketing ploy to coerce us into a never-ending regimen of annual booster shots intentionally designed to replace the natural antivirus security updates against respiratory viruses that come from hugs and handshakes and from children laughing together at school. We are being played for fools, he says. Now, this is not to say that there aren't plenty of other opportunists taking advantage of this crisis to pursue other agendas and to tip society into a full-blown police state. 
One thing quickly morphs into another. But he says this essay demonstrates that never-ending boosters were the initial motive for this global social engineering shell game. The subscription-based business model adapted for the pharmaceutical industry. In other words, immunity as a service. So Julius Ruschel says, let's dive into the fascinating world of immune systems, viruses, and vaccines layer by layer to dispel the myths and false expectations that have been created by deceitful public health officials, by pharmaceutical lobbyists, and media manipulators. What emerges as the lies are peeled apart is both surprising and more than a little alarming. He actually has a quote here from Sherlock Holmes, from Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. Once you eliminate the impossible, whatever remains, no matter how improbable, must be the truth. Now this article, again, it's way too long for me to share. In fact, uh, if you want to spend the weekend studying it, you're going to have your work cut out for you. But I'm just going to walk through the table of contents here real quick so you can get an idea of some of the different topics that are covered in detail. Julius Ruschel talks about viral reservoirs, the fantasy of eradication. Because there are animal reservoirs, meaning this virus can be passed from animal to human and human to animal, it's not going to go away. So the prospect of, well, we finally have vanquished the coronavirus, no. It will not happen. Then you have SARS, the exception to the rule. From there, he covers fast mutations, the fantasy of control through herd immunity, blind faith in central planning, and the fantasy of timely doses, spiked, the fantasy of preventing infection, antibodies, B cells, and T cells, why immunity to respiratory viruses fades so quickly. There's also a chapter here on manufacturing dangerous variants. Virus mutations under lockdown conditions, lessons from the 1918 Spanish flu. Leaky vaccines, antibody-dependent enhancement, and the Merrick effect. Then there's antivirus security updates, cross-reactive immunity through repeated exposure. The not-so-novel virus, the Diamond Princess cruise ship outbreak, proved we have cross-reactive immunity. There's a chapter titled Mother Knows Best. Vitamin D playing in puddles and sweaters. Here's a chapter called The Paradox, Why COVID-0 Makes People More Vulnerable Than Other Viruses, or Two Other Viruses. And then Introducing Immunity as a Service, a Subscription-Based Business Model for the Pharmaceutical Industry, meaning it was always about the money. And finally, The Path Forward, Neutralizing the Threat and Bulletproofing Society to Prevent This from Happening Again. It's a long and very detailed article. But if you're one of those people who is really serious about owning your worldview and really sussing this kind of stuff out for yourself, I think you're going to find it a super valuable tool. So check it out. It's in the show notes at thebrianhideshow.com. We've got to take a quick break. We'll be back just the other side of these messages. This is The Brian Hyde Show. You spend a third of your life in bed. 
That's why we make the most comfortable sheets in the very best way. I'm Scott Tannen. Eight years ago, my wife Missy and I founded Bowling Branch to create the new standard in bedding. We source pure organic cotton and put workers' rights first. Today, Bowling Branch makes the highest quality sheets in the entire industry. You'll feel the difference of our famous signature sheets. They're made from pure organic cotton and get softer with every single wash. Now's the perfect time to try Bowling Branch sheets, pillows, bath towels, and so much more. Each is made with super soft organic cotton by workers who are paid fairly and have come to feel like family. It's time to make the better choice and get the new standard in bedding. Visit BowlingBranch.com today for free shipping and returns. Experience a new standard of comfort at BowlingBranch.com and take 15% off your first set of sheets with promo code GOLD. That's B-O-L-L and Branch.com. Promo code GOLD. Tell me why Relief Factor is so successful in lowering or eliminating pain. I'm often asked that question. Pete and Seth Talbot, the father and son founders of Relief Factor, tell me they believe our bodies were designed to heal. The doctors who formulated Relief Factor selected the four best ingredients, 100% drug-free ingredients that each help your body deal with inflammation. Order the three-week quick start now. Discount it to only nineteen ninety-five to see if it will work for you too. Call 800-500-8384. ReliefFactor.com. Angie's list is now Angie, and getting your to-do list done just got easier. Between back to school and with the holidays around the corner, it can feel like there's no time to tackle home projects. Whether you need help with emergency repairs or major upgrades, Angie matches you with top local pros who can get the job done right. Browse reviews, see upfront pricing, and instantly book hundreds of projects. Save time for what matters most. Book your next project at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot following is not an actor, but a real-life story from Trinity Debt Management. I had a lot of credit card debt, and I couldn't pay my bills. I was feeling so bad. I got to a point where I needed some help, so I reached out and contacted Trinity. If you're in debt and you need help, call Trinity at 1-800-990-6976 to talk to a certified counselor. They were able to take all of my different payments and put them all together. Trinity will consolidate your accounts into one one easy-to-manage monthly payment, put a stop to late fees and over-limit charges, reduce your interest, and possibly improve your credit score. You'll save thousands. And they were actually able to work with my creditors. I've been able to pay off close to $15,000 in the last 18 months. If your debt has you down, call Trinity at 1-800-990-6976. My name is Stephanie, and I'm debt-free for keeps. 1-800-990-6976. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. Quick shout out here to my sponsors, including lifesavingfood.com. You've heard me talk about food storage. And, you know, I've, I've tried to sell people on the idea that this is a good thing. I know that uh, preppers are sometimes regarded as, well, they're a little extreme, you know, they think that something bad could possibly happen. And we all know in the history of humanity, nothing bad has ever actually happened. So it's really just kind of a paranoid fantasy. Yeah, right. (laughs) If you live long enough, you are going to live during interesting times. And if you've looked around you recently, I'd say that this probably qualifies. We live in interesting times. So if you want to shore up your position... Strengthen your ability to stand on your own two feet. 
A good food storage program is a great way to do that. It's also a great way to have peace of mind, to actually sleep soundly at night, knowing that you can deal with unforeseen circumstances. By the way, something you may not be aware of is that uh, my friend Kendall Whiting, who runs LifesavingFood.com, is also looking for more influencers and businesses to uh, to partner with him in helping to uh, to get the message out. So if you click on the link that I provide in the show notes, it'll take you to LifesavingFood.com. There's a link there for their affiliate program that you may want to check on as well. All I ask you to do is please consider acting sooner than later. We're seeing some significant shortages and rises in food, in food prices right now. Don't, uh, don't put it off too long. Don't have the regret of, dang it, we should have done this sooner. That said, let's move along here. One thing that we have learned over the past 20 months is that to some folks, science is really more of a popularity contest. Right? Consensus was invoked to justify the destructive lockdown policies, the various mandates. Of course, it's also being used as leverage to further the cause of climate change policies. In fact, uh, possibly because it appeared to work so well, we scared everybody into submission, or at least enough people into submission, to make it stick because of COVID. Why not use this for climate change? Picked up a great article from uh, AmericanThinker.com. This is from Anthony Watts. And it's why consensus on climate change is irrelevant. Something you may want to file away for the next time you uh, find yourself privy to a climate change discussion. Anthony Watts says, A new peer-reviewed paper has been released from Cornell University titled Greater Than 99% Consensus on Human-Caused Climate Change in the Peer-Reviewed Scientific Literature. Now, this study, he says, is yet another attempt to convey the nebulous notion that widespread scientific consensus exists regarding the primary causal factor behind climate change. A previous study spearheaded by the climate blogger activist John Cook concluded back in uh, in 2013 there was 97% consensus. Now, despite near-universal acclaim and its citation by leading policymakers, such as the UK's energy minister, the study was inherently flawed. Dr. Mike Holm of the University of East East Anglia explains the 97% consensus article is poorly conceived, poorly designed, and poorly executed. It obscures the complexities of the climate issue and is a sign of the desperately poor level of public and policy debate in this country, meaning the UK, that the energy minister should cite it. Even The Guardian typically a stalwart supporter of climate activism, ran a headline stating the claim of a 97% consensus on global warming does not stand up. After a thorough analysis, more than 100 published articles shredded the study's faulty methodology and completely rejected its postulated consensus level of 97%. Yet Cook's baseless study was still used as the inspiration for today's release from Cornell, which unsurprisingly is similarly flawed. Regarding the researchers' methodological approach, the article's press release states, in the study, researchers began by examining a random sample of 3,000 studies from the data set of 88,125 English-language climate papers published between 2012 and 2020. Now, there are many issues with this approach, the primary concern being selection bias. 
The authors arbitrarily decide to look at just an eight-year range of climate papers, neglecting to examine the large number of papers published before 2012. This approach therefore conveniently forgets to incorporate the significant sample of climate-skeptical papers written in response to the then-nascent concept of global warming in the 1970s. Now they go on to say, case closed, even as the glaring bias of pre-selection ensures many skeptical papers from the 1970s when global warming first appeared on the radar, radar of science to today, but those things were excluded from the study. Primary paper author Mark Linus, visiting with fellow uh, visiting fellow with Cornell's Alliance for Science, concludes, "We are virtually certain that the consensus is well over ninety nine percent now, and it's pretty much case closed for any meaningful public conversation about the reality of human caused climate change." Now, to further cast shadow upon the study's conclusions beyond the glaring selection bias problem, Linus himself inspires reason for distrust because the lead author has a history of climate activism. Danish author Bjorn Lomborg, a former member of Greenpeace, penned a book titled The Skeptical Environmentalist. In that book, Lomborg suggested pragmatic solutions to climate issues. Now, at a book signing in 2001 in Oxford, England, Linus was caught on video throwing a pie in the face of Lomborg, who was simply attempting to establish good scientific procedure. Rather than attempting to rationally object like an academic is expected to do, Linus resorted to personal assault. To further confound the aforementioned issues with the study and its authors, the entire focus of the study is based on the flawed premise that consensus matters or even should be sought. Dr. Richard Toll effectively summarizes this problem in his rebuke of this study's conclusions, claiming, Consensus is irrelevant in science. There are plenty of examples in history where everyone agreed and everyone was wrong. What a powerful statement. And Anthony Watts says, indeed, there are many such examples. Consensus does not require truth or accuracy. It merely establishes that a group of any number of individuals congregated and agreed to a certain perspective, which is often based on nothing but misinformed opinions. When author, uh, author Alex Alexander explains this sociological phenomenon in his article titled, When Consensus is a Bad Way to Decide, he says consensus is about persuasion and compromise, not right or wrong, not what works best. Consensus is about human interactions, which are mainly about emotions, jumping to conclusions and negotiation, and may or may not include facts and analysis. He says consensus is about compromise. And compromise means that someone, maybe everyone, has to set aside an idea that that may have value in order to satisfy the group or the leader of the group. Now, even world-renowned physicist Albert Einstein recognized the fallacy of consensus when it's applied to science. When the Nazi party of Germany decided they didn't like Einstein because he was Jewish, they set about to discredit him by publishing 100 authors against Einstein in 1931. In total, 121 authors were identified as opponents to Einstein's special relativity theory. Einstein, one step ahead of them all, said, is said to have reposted, it would not have required 100 authors to prove me wrong. One would have been enough. And Anthony Watts says that's the essence of science. 
It takes one author employing sound scientific experimentation to provide effective evidence in support of a theory or hypothesis. But needless to say, this is not how Linus and many of his peers have historically operated. So, when Linus asserts the case is closed, he provides little to no valid evidence in support of his theory. More methodologically sound forays into predicting the uh, effects of global warming have been attempted, but their results range everywhere from little effect to apocalyptic scenarios. The bottom line is science cannot necessarily provide us with a foolproof answer to the exact effect that global warming may have on our planet, but one thing's certain, science is not a popularity contest. Check out the link in the show notes. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. And once again, welcome back to the show. Check out those resources for wrong thinkers on my website at thebrianhydeshow.com. It's not to tell you what to think. It's just some great uh, information resources that I've been able to uh, accumulate and encounter in my day-to-day work. And you don't have to rely on me to, you know, to share them here in my dulcet tones on this program. You can, you can actually check this all out for yourself. Look, I, I don't know if there are very many other shows like this, but my goal is not to build this huge, loyal audience of people who hang on every word that I say. My goal is to help people become so practiced at doing their own thinking, at being clear and independent in their thinking, that they no longer need me. That they graduate and they move on and they start to, you know, they start creating their own audience and teaching people how to think for themselves. To me, that's that sounds like what leadership should be, as opposed to, you know, a bunch of breathless spectators who tell us more, tell us more. So if that's the way you approach things, you want to think for yourself, you want to own your own worldview, you're definitely in the right place. But I'm not too proud to ask you, please tell a friend, let other people know, too. They may be in the minority, but there are people who are looking for this. Now, anyone who's paying attention realizes we are in the midst of an economic crisis. And sadly, even the folks who recognize this fact may still be tempted to put their faith in the folks running the economic and political structures to fix the problem. Jeff Thomas from International Man says, hey, that's a really bad idea because those same folks at the top are actually the ones creating the crisis. It's got a great article from LewRockwell.com, When a Train Wreck is No Accident. And he starts with a quote from Ron Paul, In spite of all the rhetoric, we will go deeper in debt, the Fed will print more money, and the value of the dollar will continue to plummet. Jeff Thomas says, Never in history have the economic and political structures been so manipulated by those responsible for their safekeeping. Never has so much been at stake in so many countries facing collapse all at the same time. Now, he says the great majority of people in the first world recognize the world is passing through an economic crisis. However, most are under the impression that there's some pretty smart fellows running the show and all they need to do is tweak the system a bit more and we'll return to the happy days. Not so. The smart fellows who are in charge of fixing the problem are, in fact, the very same people who created it. 
Now, understandably, this is a hard concept for most people to consider, let alone accept. As the very idea that those in charge of the system might consciously collapse it seems preposterous. So he says, we might want to back up a bit here and present a very brief history of the system itself in order to understand that the eventual collapse of the economic system was baked in the cake from the very beginning. This is really a great article. So he talked, he talks about creating a central bank. And this starts with from the very earliest days of the formation of the American Republic, bankers, along with inside help from George Washington's Secretary of the Treasury, Alexander Hamilton, sought to create a banking monopoly that would create the country's currency and become the central banking system. Now, the first attempt at a central bank was a failure, and strong opponents, including Thomas Jefferson, prevented a central, a second central bank for a short time. Later attempts were made by bankers and their political cronies, and each central bank was either short-lived or defeated in its planning stages. Then in 1913 the heads of the largest banks met clandestinely on Jekyll Island, Georgia, to make another try. Having recently lost yet another bid to create a central bank, due to the public's understandable concern that the big bankers were already too powerful, a new spin was placed on the idea. This time, they decided to present the idea as a government body that would be decentralized and would have the responsibility of restricting the power of the banks. However, the new bill was in fact the same old bill with a new title and some minor changes in wording. But this time, it would be presented by the new president, who was a liberal. The president, Woodrow Wilson, had in fact been handpicked by the banks. The banks then scuttled their own conservative party's candidate, got the Democrat Wilson elected, then installed a secretary of the treasury whose job it would be to ensure that the Federal Reserve was created. Now, interestingly enough, the bill was widely supported by the public, even though, in truth, it was not a federal agency, but a privately owned conglomerate controlled by the banks. Neither was it a reserve. It was never intended to store money. It was intended to give the biggest bankers control of the economy. They followed the central principle of Uber banker Meyer Rothschild. Let me issue and control a nation's money, and I care not who writes the laws. Now, Jeff Thomas says, from the start, the new institution peddled itself as the protector of the people's interests, but it was quite the opposite. The purpose from its inception was to control the economy and the government by controlling the issuance of the currency. In addition, it was to be a, t- a system of taxation. Now, typically, a population accepts a certain amount of direct taxation, but has its limits of tolerance. Yet the bankers understood that a less direct method of taxation was infinitely more profitable and infinitely safer from criticism. Then there's the matter of inflation as a profit system. See, inflation was not always the norm. At one time, prices were relatively static from one generation to the next. But the Federal Reserve touted the idea that controlled inflation was in fact necessary for a prosperous economy. Of course, the greater the debasement of the currency through inflation, the more central bankers profited. But at some point, the currency would have lost virtually all its value, and it would be time for a reset. The currency would need to collapse, and a new one be created. So the Fed set about its 100-year program of continuous inflation. And although there have been periods of lower inflation and even deflation, the program stayed more or less on course. 
and now its 100-year life has all but ended. The dollar has been devalued almost 100%, and so we find ourselves at the day of reckoning. The economic crisis we're now facing, not only in the U.S., and will be felt to a greater or lesser extent worldwide, isn't just a mere anomaly that we need to push past. It's a systemic crisis. It's been created by design, and the system must collapse. Now, of course, the central banks are in the process of protecting their interests to make sure that whilst this may be a major economic calamity, they themselves will continue to profit. The damage will be borne by the general public. And this began in earnest in 1999 with the repeal of the Glass-Steagall Act, allowing banks to create massive, a massive reckless mortgage spree. And it was backed by the government's too-big-to-fail policy that guaranteed when the banks predictably became insolvent as a result of the loans, government would bail them out. And by government, we mean the taxpayer. It was he who picked up the bills for the bank's recklessness. The next step in getting ready for the collapse is an all-out effort to confiscate the wealth of the public. And this can be seen in the effort to push investors away from solid forms of wealth protection, such as gold and silver, and into stocks, bonds, and bank deposits. More recently, we've seen the emergence of an effort to use to end rather the use of the safe deposit box and a push to end the use of paper currency in making transactions. Jeff Thomas says the end objective is to force as much money as possible into deposits in banks and then take it. The U.S., the EU, and a few other countries have passed confiscation legislation, allowing banks carte blanche to confiscate and or refuse to release deposits. Now, of course, a reset of these proportions is not going to be without fallout. The public will be horrified at the outcome, at the realization that the very institutions they thought had been created to protect them have never been intended to serve their interests at all. Once they realize the world's greatest Ponzi scheme has been foisted on them, they will be hopping mad, and justifiably so. Those who had not the foresight to internationalize themselves, to remove themselves as much as possible from the system, will most certainly want to get even in some way. And that makes it clear why governments, particularly that of the U.S., are working so hard to create a police state. Unless a totalitarian state can be created, those who are presently taking the wealth may not be able to fully realize their objectives. And so he says the coming train wreck is no accident. It has long been planned. That the smart fellows in charge will somehow save the day is therefore a vain hope indeed. Now, it's still possible to back out of the system, but it's getting more difficult every day. The window is closing, and he says the time to internationalize is now. You can find this article linked in the show notes at thebrianhideshow.com. Just a quick shout-out to the uh, Heather Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage in St. George, Utah. Very happy to have them as sponsors of the show. Heather has the stability, the clout, and the help you need to get the loan you're looking for without delay. You can call her at 435-703-4522. Stop by their office at 619 South Bluff Street in St. George. Heather's NMLS ID is 715386. And Patriot Home Mortgage is an equal housing opportunity lender. We'll be back right after this. This is The Brian Hyde Show. 
Excuse me, why don't you have life insurance yet? I've got diabetes, and I know the price will be through the roof for the pre-existing condition. Well, actually, SelectQuote makes it easy to get very affordable life insurance, even if you have a health issue. I'm listening. You'll get quotes from some of the country's most trusted carriers. Even with your diabetes, you can get around $250,000 in insurance for as little as a dollar a day. That would be amazing. <laughs> What's it called again? Select Quote. Just call or go to selectquote.com to get your free quote. Get the coverage you need at a price you can afford. Call 1-800-694-1010 or go to selectquote.com today. That's 1-800-694-1010 or selectquote.com. Select Quote. We shop. You save. Get full details on example policy at selectquote.com slash commercials. Monthly premiums vary based on health company and other factors. Not available in all states. You spend a third of your life in bed. That's why we make the most comfortable sheets in the very best way. I'm Scott Tannen. Eight years ago, my wife Missy and I founded Bowl & Branch to create the new standard in bedding. We source pure organic cotton and put workers' rights first. Today, Bowl & Branch makes the highest quality sheets in the entire industry. You'll feel the difference of our famous signature sheets. They're made from pure organic cotton and get softer with every single wash. Now's the perfect time to try Bowl & Branch sheets, pillows, bath towels, and so much more. Each is made with super soft organic cotton by workers who are paid fairly and have come to feel like family. It's time to make the better choice and get the new standard in bedding. Visit BowlandBranch.com today for free shipping and returns. Experience a new standard of comfort at BowlandBranch.com and take 15% off your first set of sheets with promo code GOLD. That's B-O-L-L and Branch.com. Promo code GOLD. You know, if you feel like you're stuck with a health care plan that isn't affordable or you simply don't like it, right now is a great time to switch to MediShare. The typical family saves $500 a month when they join MediShare. And what's more, they like it. MediShare has double the customer satisfaction rate compared to the typical health insurance plan. That's double. So you get a massive network of providers to choose from. You get telehealth services. And MediShare is the most trusted name in healthcare sharing. It's been around for more than 25 years, shared more than $4 billion in healthcare bills. Here's why now really is the time to make the switch, too. You can start saving each month, which is huge, but right now they'll waive your joining fee. So you'll save another $170 right off the bat. But again, it's a limited time offer. you got to call now. And it only takes two minutes to find out how much you'd save by switching. Here's the number, 833-34-BIBLE. That's 833-34-BIBLE. 833-34-BIBLE. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. All right, you've stuck it out this far. Let's bring it home. Got a couple of great articles to share in this final segment. Um, one of these, I think, uh, you know, being a prepper, but not necessarily being the most handy guy, I do have to concede one of the best parts of being self-reliant is acquiring and learning how to use tools. Now, getting yourself set up can be a bit of a challenge, especially if you are on a budget. So I'm, I'm dropping an article in here from um, the, uh, the Organic Prepper. How to, uh, how to find and, and to, to get the tools that you actually need. How to get tools on a budget. And this is actually, this is from Aiden Tate. 
Sorry, I said the organic prepper. This is from a, a connected website, The Frugalite. Just a couple of quick thoughts here. Aiden Tate says, look, you've finally moved out on your own, though you're just scraping by. You're loving every minute of it. However, one thing you've quickly come to terms with is your need for some basic tools. But you're broke. You need to get tools on a budget. And also, you finally understand why your dad had a basement packed full of them. Because without tools, a home falls apart. The problem is, though, you're living on a shoestring budget. You don't have much room to spare at all for dropping hundreds of dollars at Lowe's. What are you going to do? How do you buy tools on a budget? And what do you really need? And he walks you through these things. Part of the problem, he says, shopping for tools is it's easy to get caught up in buying something you don't need. Or at least something you don't need at this moment. So by all means, if you have to fix some plumbing, go ahead and buy the right tool for the job. But if you're buying tools on a budget and only need the basics for run-of-the-mill home repairs, here's the list he recommends. Starts with uh, multi-head screwdrivers, goes to a good hammer, a good drill, drill bits, needle-nose pliers, vice grips, channel lock pliers, an Allen wrench set. And this is just, you know, the very basics. And he goes through some very different ones um, that represent a good value. Now, where to look for tools on a budget? He recommends uh, look at the end caps at Lowe's. Particularly right after Christmas and right after Father's Day, you can find some amazing clearance deals. Harbor Freight, that's kind of the dollar store version of Lowe's. While nothing in there is going to be super high quality, it's still like walking through a candy store. You can check out the coupons they have. Here's another good one. This is smart people have been using this one for a while. Yard sales. Sometimes you get a steal of a price. Then there's estate sales and and other other different suggestions here to get tools on a budget. You'll find this linked in the show notes at thebrianhideshow.com. Maybe you're already as equipped as you need to be. Maybe you have kids that are getting ready to move out on their own. Um Got to have a good tool set. It's just a necessary thing. Even if you're not the handiest person, having the right tools is handy when someone who does know what they're doing shows up. Well, do you have one of these? Oh, yeah, actually, I do. Let me grab that for you. All right, one final article here, and this is from Samuel D. Sampson. Now, if you are serious about seeing the various COVID mandates come to an end, and I know we kind of get this sense sometimes, hey, things are kind of settling down. Looks like it's going to return to normal. But we're always just one more crisis away from now we got to lock it down again. Close the businesses, mask everybody up, mandate the vaccines, fire the people who aren't vaccinated, whatever. There's a lot of uncertainty. But if you want to see these COVID mandates come to an end, you're going to have to become comfortable with engaging in civil disobedience. And it's something you can do without becoming, you know, a jerk. You can do it without uh, becoming part of the problem. But you also need to understand anything good requires effort, requires sacrifice, and this is one of those things. Samuel Sampson says, Laws contrary to the human good are not only false laws, but acts of violence against the human person, which can be disobeyed. He says, in early September, about a month after the reimposition of the indoor mask mandate in Washington, I walked into the Trader Joe's on Capitol Hill without a mask. Now, as expected, I was the only person maskless in the entire store. Yet, besides this detail, the experience was surprisingly uneventful. Not once did an angry shopper berate me for my insensitivity, nor was I ever asked to put my mask on. 
I checked out, huffed my grocery bag over my shoulder, and left. No harm, no foul. How will the pandemic end? Well, he says this is the question that's plagued us from the start. In the meantime, countless measures have been implemented as surefire ways to return us to normal. Lockdowns, mask mandates, stimulus checks, travel bans, online school, and, of course, the indomitable vaccine. Nineteen months on, however, the results have been slight. Most mandates are still in place, the pandemic is still ongoing, and the question still goes very much unanswered. Yet such failures have not stopped the ruling elite from establishing an end goal, virtual elimination of the virus. Indeed, whether explicitly or implicitly, all COVID-related legislation has been ultimately ordered toward this objective. As recently stated by Dr. Anthony Fauci himself, we want to do better than just control. We want to be on the brink of elimination. Now, Australia and New Zealand have manifested this most explicitly, locking down over single new COVID-19 cases. But as Fauci's words show, America's not far off. Herein lies the problem. The total elimination of COVID-19 is simply impossible. Like other perennial respiratory viruses, COVID-19 spreads too rapidly and mutates into new variants too frequently to eliminate in any lasting way. This is nothing new. We deal with the seasonal flu every year. And though the coronavirus is slightly more contagious than its cousin, the fact remains that the two possess similarly low mortality rates for the majority of the population, particularly for children. Therefore, reason would say that we ought to treat COVID-19 as we have other similar diseases, with moderate precaution. But this pandemic, however, has radically changed the mode by which we act. Where once the arrival of flu season caused little panic, COVID now necessitates hysteria, quarantines, contact tracing, citywide mask mandates, even vaccine passports. Countries locked down over single new infections. Children are barred from in-person school for weeks if wind is caught that they might have been exposed. Employees are forced into a grave choice. Get the vaccine or get fired. Thus, the new precedent is set, eradication or bust. And since we know that COVID-19 will never truly vanish, we now have our answer as to how the pandemic ends. It won't. If we are to follow the precedent to its logical conclusion, all mild perennial viruses, be they flu, COVID-19, or something else yet unknown, now merit no less than the shutdown of society. Simply put, there's no limiting principle here. We've handcuffed ourselves and given away the key. So he says, here we return to my jaunt at Trader Joe's and what I believe to be the only path left, disobedience. We simply cannot continue a begrudged compliance in the hope that normalcy will one day return. Now note that this call for disobedience is neither a condemnation of public health initiatives en masse or a libertarian protest based on rights or individual liberty. In fact, he says, I doubt I would be advocating against strict health measures if the Black Death were to resurrect itself on American shores. Instead, it's a reaction based on the situation at hand a proportionate response to a precedent bereft of justice and contrary to human flourishing. Patience and tolerance will no longer cut it. In fact, he says, many as I, many as I once did, think of the mandates as something worth enduring, a noble sacrifice for the sake of a future return to normalcy. But we now know this to be a fruitless task. No mandate will ever eliminate COVID-19, therefore no mandate will ever end the pandemic. 
Thus, we must spurn the mandates themselves. Civil civil disobedience isn't a radical new concept. It's one ingrained in the Western tradition. In Summa Theologica, uh, St. Thomas Aquinas describes unjust laws as those laws contrary to the human good and argues that such laws are not only false laws, but so too acts of violence against the human person, which can be disobeyed. Therefore, it's not only right that we disobey, but it's necessary, even just. He says, start by ditching the mask at restaurants and stores. If you're denied entry, well, find somewhere else to shop. If you're in lockdown, visit a friend's house or host a party at your own. Go back to church if you've stopped going. At the airport, try and go maskless in the terminal for as long as possible. The more we say no, the less seriously these mandates will be taken, and the sooner our leaders will realize that their precedent cannot last forever. Now, he says you might worry about backlash, and certainly there will be some. Achieving the good always requires work and sacrifice. But he also says if my maskless grocery run serves as evidence, there will be far less retribution than you might expect. Because nobody sane, after all, actually enjoys these mandates. So be public, be courageous, be consistent. Your fortitude could be just the thing that inspires others to do the same. And he says, indeed, the end of this pandemic depends on it. I think that's a nice note to end on today. This is The Brian Hyde Show.